And so Matthew begins by presenting Jesus as the son of David, the son of Abraham, the one whom wise men from the east came searching for him and worshipped him, the one that the king in Jerusalem at the time was trying to get rid of him because he was jealous of another king. And Matthew, in essence, is saying, Behold your king, even as a baby. You know, that reminds me. I forgot the story I was going to tell at the beginning. Didn't I, Serena? I forgot that story. You were wondering when I was going to tell that story, weren't you? (laughs) So I'm going to tell the story and then get back into what we were. Because... Jesus came as a king, but he wasn't the king that they were expecting, was he? How many of you are familiar with the name Eric Beher? The famous storyteller from uh, a long time ago, 70 to 100 years ago, somewhere in that vicinity. (laughs) Not that long ago, huh? Well, he was... He was in Burma before World War II, so that was a while ago. <laughs> he was Lansing in six in in when? Okay, and he was in Lansing in the sixties. Very good. Yeah, well, he it's good. I'm glad he was. I'm glad you got to hear him. And we didn't get to hear him in person, uh, but we have some of his books and we have some of his CDs, and he tells the story of Victor Emmanuel III in 1915. There had been an earthquake in Italy. And during this time in the king of Italy's reign, the people, especially the common people, really appreciated the king and would do everything that they could to show him honor. And the king had a... a um, a summer palace up in the north of Italy. My girls asked if I was going to tell it like Eric Beher, and I am not, as you can tell. I'm sorry, but I'm just not Eric Beher. <laughs> and so as he had his, his uh, summer residence up in northern Italy, and every summer he would come, and as he, as he would come, he would the people would line the street, and there would be a great procession, and he would uh, greet them as he came. You know, when when heads of state still arrive in places today, there is still quite an assembly that comes and greets them, and secret service and all of that. Well, they were expecting the king to come. And so that morning as the family, as one of the families, one of the farm families got up and there they were and they were, uh, they were all dressed up ready and the father said, I'm going to meet the king. And the mother, the son said, I'm going to go meet the king. And the daughter said, I'm going to go meet the king. And the mother said, I guess I'll stay home and milk the cows. And do the chores. Yes, there were two sons. It's okay. (laughs) 
And so the family goes to meet the king, and there they are with the, in this procession. And as they're they're uh, excited and waiting to meet the king, and the mother downcast goes out to the barn and begins milking the cows. And as she's milking the cows, their their little uh, farm is at a corner in the road, and sometimes people would cut through and not follow the road to save a little bit of time. And so as she comes. She, uh, she's milking the cows. There's a stranger that's walking by and she just figures it's any, anybody else that's cutting the corner of the road. And then to her surprise, the stranger comes into the barn and says, I'm just so thirsty. I need refreshing. Could you get me a little bit of milk? And she says, well, cold milk is sure a lot nicer than warm milk and more refreshing. So I will give you the, uh, I'll go into the house and get you some cold milk. So she goes into the house and gets him some cold milk and brings out a cake and says, oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And she says, by the way, why are you here on the farm by yourself milking the cows? And she says, oh, my family has gone to greet the king. The king is coming in today and he is going to have a procession and my family wants to be there to greet him because we love our king. And the man looks at her and he begins to laugh and he says, they will not see the king today. Well, why not? How? Why are you saying such a thing? And he takes off his hat and he says, because I am your king and I was too too tired to have a procession today, so I'm taking another route into town. She met the king, but not in the way that she expected to meet the king. Everybody was ready there at the procession for the king to come with all of his pomp and ceremony and she meets him in the barn milking the cows. And when we look at Matthew's gospel, Matthew is trying to say Jesus is the king even though he didn't come the way you expected him to even though it was unnoticed to many people, Jesus is the king who has come. And so he begins, as we talked about, by laying out Jesus the Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And the wise men from the east came and gave him gifts worthy for a king. He's the baby king. Then he goes to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3, verses, verse 3. And this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Matthew, documenting that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, quotes from Isaiah and says, John the Baptist fulfilled this prophecy that he was going before, making straight the paths and the way of the Lord. Now, what was significant about that? Matthew is saying kings have forerunners. 
Kings have messengers that go before them and that prepare the way. Have you ever been rattled a bit by the road you were driving on? Kings didn't appreciate, especially without the suspension systems that we have today, getting rattled in their carriages. And so kings would send workers and messengers before and they would proclaim the king is coming and they would level in the valleys and they would make down, uh, try to make lower the high spots and trying to make the road smooth for the king. And Isaiah's prophecy was that there was a messenger that was going to come before the Lord, come before the king, preparing his way. And Matthew says, John came, fulfilled the scripture, and was preparing the way for the king. But then, this messenger baptized him instead. And then we come to Matthew chapter 4. And these are the first public words that Jesus, that Matthew records Jesus saying. It's not Jesus' first public words, but it's the first public words that are given in the Gospel of Matthew. And notice what he says, Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus begins in the Gospel of Matthew his message with the kingdom of heaven is here. Now, if there is a new kingdom, what does that mean? There's a new king as well. Matthew records Jesus, the beginning of his ministry, the kingdom of heaven is here. But notice, what type of kingdom is this? Kingdom of heaven, right? A heavenly kingdom. Matthew presents Jesus as the new king. By the way, when we look at Matthew and when we put all four of the gospels together, we see the full dimension or at least the fullest dimension that is recorded for us. Matthew has just skipped over a year in Matthew chapter 4. It doesn't look like that when we read the book of Matthew, but when we add John to the mix and we see what was taking place, Jesus was ministering in Judea for about a year after his his baptism. Matthew skips that. And Matthew just goes right to Jesus' great Galilean ministry in which he is announcing the new kingdom. And he begins Jesus' Galilean ministry, not the way Mark does. Mark records more chronologically. Matthew is recording more uh, more thematically here. And he begins Jesus' great Galilean ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. What is he doing? Jesus is announcing his kingdom and he is a king announcing his kingdom and he's laying out the Magna Carta, if you will, of his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he goes and lays out the principles of his kingdom. And as he lays out the principles of his kingdom, he says it's inward spiritual beauty that is important. Let not your righteousness be on the outside. Others seeing you trumpeting trumpets before you drop a coin in the offering plate. Others hearing your long, lengthy prayers on the corners of the streets. No, let your religion be that of the heart. He's laying out the new principles of his kingdom. The principles of his kingdom that most were not looking for or expecting. Then we go to Matthew chapter 8. Not only is Jesus the baby honored as a king, not only is he introducing a new kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, but Jesus has powers that most kings do not. He is a miracle-working king. And Matthew 8 and 9 are depicting mighty miracles of Jesus. We see the Roman centurion. Don't come to my house. I'm not worthy. But I'm also under authority, and you're under authority too. You can speak the word only, and it shall be done, right? He has authority. The centurion recognized Jesus' authority. Jesus stands up in the middle of a storm-tossed boat. Do you normally want to stand up in a storm on a boat? He stands up and says, Peace, be still. His authority extends beyond sickness. His authority extends to the very elements of nature. Jesus is a miracle-working king. And then Matthew continues. Not only does he work miracles, but Jesus is a king that is the greatest teacher as well. He is a teaching king. And so Matthew records some of his great uh, teaching principles, teaching things that he does. He talks about his sending the disciples out. He talks about um, the Jesus principles of forgiveness, the parables in Matthew 13, the breaking down of tradition, receiving in uh, the Gentiles, all of these things. Matthew records the teachings of Jesus. He is a teaching king. Let's go to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. The scene changes a little bit here. Matthew, quoting from the Old Testament in verses 4 and 5, 
First of all, he tells, records to Jesus. Jesus says, go. Go loose a donkey's colt and bring them to me. Oh, and by the way, everybody asks you, what are you doing? It's a very obvious question, isn't it? Why are you untying my donkey? If anybody asks you, just say, the Lord has need of it. I imagine that Jesus directed him to one of the disciples' homes, not one of the twelve disciples, but somebody else that was a follower of Jesus. And when Peter and John or whoever said, the Lord has need of it, they knew exactly that they were giving to help the master. We don't know that for sure, but it's just my thinking. But let's read verses 4 and 5. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. He quotes Zechariah and says, This is the fulfillment of Zechariah. But notice what he says, Tell your, behold, your king is coming. And you remember, as Jesus comes, they're waving palm branches and they are shouting. It says in verse 9, Hosanna to the son of David. Who is the son of David? It's the king. It's the Messiah, right? And so Jerusalem is in a blessed uproar, if you will, because Jerusalem now is shouting and the multitudes have gathered around as Jesus comes riding upon this donkey that has not been ridden upon as he comes riding in and they're waving palm branches. They're laying their uh, garments down to smooth the way for the donkey to walk on and for less jarring. And as they're laying it down and they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. The city recognizes the king is coming. The king is here. And so when we look at it, Matthew is showing that Jesus is a baby king. He's a new kingdom, a heavenly king, a new type of king. He's a miracle working king. He is a teaching king, but he is also a recognized king. As Matthew is writing to the Jews, probably of the dispersion and elsewhere, they were not there in Jerusalem when this... uh, Uh, that when this triumphal entry was made. And so Matthew is recording, Jesus entered as a king triumphantly into Jerusalem. He is the king, the son of David. By the way, just a note, when you look at the four Gospels, there are the three Gospels that we call the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And we call those the synoptics because they follow a very similar storyline. They have a lot of the same events that are recorded. Luke records an entire different ministry, aspect of ministry, that uh, neither Matthew or Mark cover. John is about 90-some percent different from the rest of the Gospels. And so they have the different audiences that they are writing to and different highlights of Jesus' life and his ministry. And Matthew is emphasizing that Jesus is king and that he is fulfilling fulfilling the Old Testament prophecies. But when you come to the last week, 
All four Gospels, even John, converge. And the events told in the last week, basically, there's still different nuances, but they all come together. And that's the way it is with the triumphal entry. All four Gospels record Jesus coming triumphantly into Jerusalem as a king. But if you're writing to Jews, an obvious question is going to be, why didn't the leaders receive him? And so Matthew then goes on to explain how he was not only the recognized king by the populace, but he was also an unrecognized king. Notice Matthew chapter 21, verses, verse 23. Now when he came into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? What are they asking here? Why are you doing this? Why are you saying this? Who gave you this authority? The people have just cried, Behold, Hosanna to the Son of David. If he's the Son of David, if he's the Messiah, if he's the King, does he have authority? (laughs) Absolutely he does, doesn't he? But yet the leaders are rejecting his authority. And so the parables that Matthew relates in Matthew 21, 22, and then the rebukes of Matthew 23 are dealing with why they refused him. Why the leaders did not recognize him. And then when we come to Matthew 24 and Matthew 25, not just is he a king that rides triumphantly into Jerusalem, But he is the coming king, isn't he? He is the one that is coming with power and great glory. And so we find him describing here and Matthew recording Jesus' description of him coming with power and glory and all the angels and all of these things. By the way, when we read Matthew 24, we need to also read Matthew 25. Because Matthew 24 and 25 are companion chapters They were the same sermon. If you'd only read Matthew 24 and don't get to Matthew 25, it's like cutting the sermon in half and never getting to the punchline. What was the punchline of Matthew 25? Matthew 24 are the signs that he is coming and how he is going to come. Matthew 25 is how you're ready for him to come. And how are you ready? He says, you have to have oil in your lamps. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have that personal inward experience. And he illustrates that with the ten virgins. You have to be using your talents for the master. And he illustrates that with the parable of the talents. And you need to be helping the poor and the needy and the suffering around you. And he illustrates that with, when I was in prison, you visited me. When I was without clothing, you clothed me. Lord, when did we do that? parable of the sheep and the goats. And so Matthew demonstrates him as the coming king, but then he continues because he is not a normal king. He is a king that is also a suffering king. And Matthew reveals the suffering of the king as well. 
He was mocked. He was beaten. He was crucified. And the question in the minds of the contemporary Jews would have been, how can he be the king if he's been rejected and mocked and ridiculed and finally crucified? Matthew adds the note in Matthew 27, verse 54. Matthew's not the only one that adds this. Verse 54 of Matthew 27 So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. Yes, the rulers rejected him and didn't recognize him. Yes, they brought him to the Sanhedrin. Yes, he was mocked. He was ridiculed. Yes, nails were driven through his hands. Yes, he hung upon the cross. But even in hanging on that cross, the heathen, Roman, centurion, recognized, and when he saw Jesus and the events that transpired on that day, said, Behold, he was the Son of God. And so... He is the suffering king. But in Matthew chapter 28, he is the risen king. Matthew details his resurrection probably in the greatest detail. There's different stories that are told. But Matthew records in verse chapter 28, verses 2 and 3, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And his countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. The next verse records that the Roman soldiers fell down as dead men. A king should have some guards, shouldn't he? And Jesus' guard appeared, and he was bright as lightning, shining and inglorious, knocking down by his power and his glory the very Roman soldiers that were supposed to be holding him there. Jesus rose, and his guards, his attendants were with him. And then notice how Matthew ends, verses 18 through 20 of Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. Amen. If he is the risen king, would you expect him to have authority? And so Matthew records his final words of his gospel are, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. He was the baby king. He is a new type of king, a heavenly king, a miracle working king, a teaching king, a recognized king, an unrecognized king, a coming king, a suffering king, and a risen king with all authority. 
Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah. Matthew presents Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. Matthew presents Jesus as David's son. Something we didn't look at, but he also presents him as a new Moses as well. But throughout his gospel, we see he presents him as the king. But, like that Eric B. Hare story, he was an unexpected king. He didn't come the way they thought. He wasn't recognized the way you would think a king would be. And the question of Matthew's gospel to the Jews of his time was, will you accept him as your king? And that question comes to us as well. Turn back to Matthew 27. Because all of the gospel writers present Jesus as a king on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 11. Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, It is as you say. Pilate says, Are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, Just as you say, I am. Pilate, trying to find a way out that would make everybody happy. No such thing. Decides the best way to deal with this circumstance, this prisoner before him, is to bring another prisoner out and give the Jews the choice of who They want released. Verses 16 and 17. And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? Pilate brings out Barabbas. And Barabbas on one hand, Jesus on the other. Pilate believes that the stark difference in the expressions and the demeanor will convince the crowd before him that Jesus is innocent. But there's another story going on here. In some of the ancient Greek manuscripts, Not all, but some. It says he had another prisoner. Jesus Barabbas. There's Barabbas. We know as Barabbas. But he might have been known by the very same name that Jesus was known by. Jesus. And he brings two Jesuses before them. 
But it's not just that. Barabbas is an Aramaic Hebrew word. Bar means son. Abba means father. Son of the father. Barabbas. Name meant son of father. Now every son is a son of their father, aren't they? There's something more significant. Barabbas, who some manuscripts say was Jesus. Here is, Jesus means Savior, Deliverer. Here was a man in prison that claimed to be the son of the father who was wanting and claiming to deliver. And Pilate brings out Barabbas and he presents the deliverer. And on the other side is Jesus who is the true deliverer, the true son of the father. And the Jews have a choice. Are they whose king do they kingship do they want? Are they the deliverer, the son of the father of Barabbas or of Jesus? And the distinction was who was Barabbas? When we put the gospels together, we see he was a murderer and a thief, but not just that. He had stirred up rebellion or sedition. Barabbas was claiming to be the Messiah, the Son of the Father, the Deliverer who would deliver Israel. And Jesus was claiming to be the Deliverer, the Son of the Father who would deliver Israel. Barabbas was using temporal Earthly methods. They were methods that made sense to the Jews. We need the Messiah to come. And he needs to fight the Romans with arms. And Barabbas was trying to do that. Jesus had come as a new king. Not with clash of arms. But with a healing hand. With the principles of humility and love and selflessness. Jesus was presenting a kingdom that was spiritual, heavenly, and eternal. Barabbas was representing a kingdom that was earthly, temporary, and temporal. And as Pilate brought these two men out, And said, who will you that I should release? And as they looked at the spiritual, heavenly kingdom of Jesus, and as they looked at the temporal, earthly, supposed kingdom of Barabbas, they said, give us Barabbas. And Pilate says, what shall I do with Jesus the Christ? John records, what shall I do with Jesus, the king? 
And they cry, crucify, crucify him. Matthew has presented a picture of Jesus as a new type of king. A heavenly, spiritual king. And the Jews chose the temporal, earthly, a Barabbas. And as Pilate brought out these men and said, who do you want? It's recorded there. They chose Barabbas. But who do we choose? Do we choose the heavenly spiritual kingdom of Jesus? Or are there times that we'd rather go with the earthly, temporal things of this world? Christ or Barabbas. As Pilate brought them out, it was a choice that they made. But it's a choice that we make each and every day. Are we going to follow the principles of Jesus' kingdom or are we going to follow the principles of the kingdom of this world? Jesus was handed over to the Roman soldiers. And what did they do? They made a crown of thorns. They put a purple robe upon him. They mocked him and said, Hail, King of the Jews! The priests and rulers, as Jesus was hanging upon the cross, said, if you are the king, come down from that cross and we will believe. They rejected the kingship of Jesus. Matthew was written to Jews of the first century, but it's written to us today as well. Because if Jesus is the king, What is the authority of a king? It's not limited, is it? The authority of the king is unbounded. If we accept Jesus as our king, we are accepting his authority in every area of our lives. It's easy to mentally assent to that. It's hard when we have a choice between Jesus' heavenly ways or the earthly ways, and we want to go the earthly way. But the question comes down, who are you accepting, Jesus or Barabbas? Our choices 
reveal who our king is. If we surrender to Jesus' heavenly kingdom, his spiritual kingdom, and as we surrender to him every day and lay our our ways aside, our habits, our practices, and accept Jesus' principles, Jesus' kingdom, we're accepting him. But if we say, Jesus, I want you to be my king, but yet I want to act or I want to have some of the earthly temporal things like Barabbas, we're in essence choosing Barabbas instead of Jesus. And the words of Pilate come down to us today. What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Individually, what then shall we do with Jesus who is called Christ? Can we choose to accept him as our true king today and each and every day of our lives? Surrender to his kingship, his authority. Because as Matthew has laid out, he is the king and he is coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. But we must accept him as our king each day today. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that Jesus is the son of Abraham, the son of David, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. And Lord, we pray that we will accept you. We choose to accept you and make you the king of our lives. Not just part of our lives, but every area of our lives. We don't want the tyranny of Barabbas, the earthly and temporal. We want to operate under the principles of your kingdom, your kingship. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.